That is a great hymn. Rejoice, rejoice, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he hath done. That song works in every condition of life. To know him, to know the access we have to the Father, to know the position we are in because of the work of Christ. You can't get away from God's love. The highest depths, the lowest lows, he is there. And he is there in love and grace toward us. He desires nothing but good for us. In the dark times, how do we see the good? He's there. He's with us. And those dark times are the greatest time of learning. James says that. Get wisdom in those trials, in those tests. There's wisdom to be found there. And that wisdom produces maturity. So that when the hard times come, we have a faith in our God that holds fast. It's not some strange thing that we find ourselves in difficulty. It's there to teach us. The hymn says, the flames will not hurt thee. They only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. That's the purpose. God allows, I'm not going to say, there's sometimes he made under certain conditions. God doesn't particularly, oh, all right, I'm going to cause him trouble. No, in this world, trouble comes. It's just here. I heard somebody the other day wax eloquent. If they're such a loving, good God, why does he let all this wickedness happen? Well, the question is, where's the wickedness coming from? <laughs> Where's the wickedness coming from? Well, then God doesn't, God doesn't love. Well, wait a minute. Amongst this wickedness, he has offered forgiveness of sins and eternal life with him. Children, yes. You still have a God who loves you, cares for you, and offers you eternal life. Don't say God doesn't love. He loves these people that are causing the trouble. He loves the people who are causing the trouble. It offers them forgiveness and eternal life. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. It's a light to our path. It directs us. It instructs us. In every circumstance of life, it gives us hope and direction. So bless your word. Give us understanding of it and the ability to accept it. So we ask it in Jesus' name. We're still in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3 now. I've struggled in areas with Peter, particularly when it comes to this section of husband's wife, so on and so forth. He is different than Paul. Why? Who is he talking to? He starts out in chapter 1, to those who are strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bethesda, a scattered people. These are people who have left their home, left their city, scattered we know, because of what the scripture teaches, these people were basically chased out of Jerusalem, chased out of Israel because of their faith in Christ. These are Jews 
who accepted Christ, their Messiah. And they were persecuted for it. And so they were put out into the various areas of, of Asia. Who else are these people? Down in verse 10, we find out that these people had the prophets. They had the prophets. That is a direct relationship to who they are. They had the Old Testament prophets. These are Jews with understanding of scriptures. Down in verse 8 of chapter 2, he talks about the stumbling stone. The Jews understood this. These Christian believers, they saw their leaders stumble at Christ, rejected Christ through disbelief. So we begin to see and get a, a, an idea of who he is talking to. Whereas Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter is the apostle to the Jews. Paul with the Gentiles has to almost start from scratch. These are pagans. They don't know the Christian religion at all. All they know about it is this new thing to be rejected. Paul, on the other hand, is dealing with Jews who knew the scriptures, who knew the prophecies of the Messiah. And so he can speak to them with an understanding unspoken. He doesn't, in a sense, have to clarify himself. Verse 12, chapter 2, he says, Keep your behavior good among the Gentiles. These Jews are living amongst Gentiles. So again, showing them to be who they are. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as, here we are, foreigners and strangers in this land. Keep in mind, and I think this is a little bit helpful, Everything that these people knew as growing up in a Jewish community, where I get my bread, where I get my vegetables, where do I get meat, who do I buy it from, who, who's, the, who's the miller, who, grains our, who uh, grinds our flour? Remember, this is an agricultural time. There, there's a lot of mutual barter. I have meat, you have grain. We work together, work out a, a, a weight system that we can work together. These scattered Jews have lost it. They're in a new land with new custom, with new ways. I remember moving uh, 1968, moving from Connecticut to Illinois, south side of Chicago, Richland Park, Illinois, right next to Harvey, uh, right next to, uh, hmm, Name slipped Chicago Heights. Chicago Heights has an interesting history. It was a holdout, a holdup of the mafia back in the day. I can tell you stories about families that I worked with at the shop I worked in whose families worked for various godfathers. For very, terrible stories, wicked place. And the things that I saw, heard of my own eyes living amongst that wicked place those people. We can tell you what it's like to live in a new place. Where am I going to live? I lived with a family for a while. Then I lived in Harvey YMCA for a while. Then I finally was able to buy a house. A acquaintance, somebody I didn't even know, was in charge of a big condo project. He gave me a job as a laborer to keep me going. Finally got a job in my trade. 
and then got married. Didn't know if that was going to happen. When I was going to go to Chicago, I'd been dating my wife-to-be for uh, over a year. Honey, what about us? I got to go to Chicago. It's a real opportunity for who I am and what I'm doing. But what about us? If there's an us, it will work. And it worked. And I said, honey, you want to get married? He said, sure, when? How about three weeks? <laughs> oh, I was singing. We had shows we had to go to. We were going to international competition. I mean, my schedule was swamped. Honey, this is the only opening I have. She didn't mind as much as her mother. <laughs> but it happened. My wife had never been out of Connecticut. She spent a week with a friend in Georgia one time. So I took my wife, we packed up all of our belongings, left the uh, wedding ceremony, got in the car, and went to Illinois. Fortunately, I was able to... Uh, uh, now, we're not talking about believers here. Neither she or I were believers. The owner of the condo project came to me and said, we have a condo. By the way, these were custom. When you bought one of these condos, you totally furnished it. Colors, carpet, fixtures, everything. You did it. Jack, you're out here. You're living up in the YMCA. He says, and you're getting married. Tell you what, we have a condo that's been totally furnished the way the people want it. They backed out. They lost their financing. We will sell it to you, and it was a ridiculously low price, and guess what? I could afford it. So I bought it. Well, honey, we're going to get married. Where are we going to live? I bought a condo. You what? <laughs> Turbulent times. Just everything's changed. Imagine, took her to Chicago, got there on a Sunday night, and Monday night, I, Monday morning, I left for work, plopped her down in a place she's never been, had no idea where anything is, doesn't even know the name of a street, and I had the car. We made it. But we understand what these people went through, the turmoil. Everybody, don't know a person. It seems these people at least had other Jewish believers in the area, some place they could associate with because it's written to a group of people. But we have to understand the turmoil. And then my wife's and I moving, our pattern of life, it was different. It was changed. And I think a lot of what Peter writes is reminding these people of their culture and who they are. Everything has changed around you, but your walk with your God has not changed. He spends the first chapter rehearsing God's love to them, God's choosing of them, of their redemption in Christ. Remember to be holy as your God is holy. A lot of reminder. This wasn't new to these people, but a reminder to them. And then we come to this section of the submission. Submit to government. Submit to your boss, as it were, the household who's over you. And take the example of Christ, how he submitted to the Father's will for him. And then, yes, we saw last Sunday, now wives, submit to God's will for you. 
means being in subjection to your husband. And now we're at the husbands. Knowing the Jewish history, what's the husband? We must define him. We know that he was the first created and that he was given commandments by God as to what to do. To rule, to govern, to multiply the earth. And to walk with his God. That is the man. We understand that the woman was created for the man, which demands the man lead. If she's going to help him, she can't help somebody who has no plan. Keep that in mind as a husband. She cannot follow you if you don't have a plan. So there's responsibility to the husband to take his place under God and be what God created him for, to walk humbly before his God, to carry out God's desires. This is the whole duty of man, to keep his uh, to serve as God and keep his commandments. So the husband, he has to k- k- take up his position. And Peter is going to explain to the husband, remind the husband of what that means. Dwell with them in an understanding way. Some of your Bibles say, dwell with them according to knowledge. It's sad that when you read many of the commentaries, you begin to have a heavy leaning toward the physical life. Dwell with her to knowledge. What color does he like? What food does she, if you're going to take her out to her, what food does she like? the physical things of the wife. Does she want flowers or African violets? Dwell knowledge of your wife. Well, it's unfortunate for us, but the knowledge of the wife goes a lot, this word knowledge goes a lot deeper. If I can, the word is gnosis. Now, stay with this, husband, because this is what we are supposed to know. To know experientially, in simple terms, the process of information of what is known. It describes comprehension or intelligence, grasp of something. Gnosis refers to knowledge gained by experience in contrast to intuitive knowledge. Stated another way, Gnosis is experientially known, function, working. Knowledge gleaned from first-hand personal experience, which turns into application. So we're not talking about some vague thing about knowledge. We're talking about very specific knowledge about your wife. Not only intuitive, not only what we pick up, but very specific. (laughs) The proverb talks about two wives. 
one is a huge blessing, and one is woo, a whirlwind. What pushes her button? You know that? What are you going to say? What conversation are you going to have your wife that's going to push her button to bring out that side of her that isn't pleasant? I'm sorry. Do wives really have that place? <laughs> Dwell with her kindly knowledge. Now, the flip side of that coin is what blesses her, what gives her great joy. This understanding, in this context, gnosis, knowledge signifying a general intelligent and understanding of Christian religion, of the Christian religion. Even a more advanced, perfected knowledge of the Christian religion. Things lawful and unlawful for Christians. Moral wisdom, such as things that are righteous in living. We don't look at the wife only as a physical being, what her physical, unnatural character is. We look at her as a believing Christian woman under the word of God. So it's just not tending to her physical needs. It's tending to her spiritual needs. That is a demand on our husbands to know spiritual things, to know the word of God. So that we can direct her. Paul says something that makes our congregation ladies cringe. Ladies, keep quiet in the church. It's not permitted that you speak. But what's the flip side? Now, if you need to know anything, go home and ask your husband. Ooh. Husbands, we need to know the word. We need to be able to talk with our wives about spiritual things, answer questions about what's moral and what is not moral in biblical terms. What's loving? What isn't loving? How do we apply Christian love to this awkward situation? Honey, here's how we do it. Now keep in mind, the whole basis of this is a husband-wife as a unit. Together we face this issue. And together we understand how God wants us to approach it. We know. So there's a great care of the wife in this knowing, this knowledge applied says live with them <laughs> live with them this is the daily routine this just isn't we cohabitating this is functioning a functioning daily routine within the home last time I brought up the issue of culture of our culture Women in our culture are totally opposed to what the Christian culture teaches about the woman's role. For men, live with your wife. I know firsthand a couple that are not believers. He goes to business and spends months in Vermont doing business in Vermont. Why, his wife's in Florida for months. Have you talked with your husband? No, and I haven't talked with him in a couple weeks. 
You'd be surprised how many couples live under that type of condition. Almost no knowledge of each other. That's not living with your wife. As husbands, we need to be working with our wives on a daily basis, understanding. I suggest from personal experience that husbands and wives spend at least an hour today looking at each other. Maybe you'll have something to talk about, maybe you won't. Look at each other. Something will come up. Good or bad, something will come up. Spend time together. I mean, it, it can get right down to a work issue or it can get right down to the pastor said. Or did you see what so-and-so did at church? Live these things together. Live your thoughts together and your feelings together. Communicate one with another. Live with each other. In our culture, this is somewhat a problem. I know firsthand of a situation where the husband didn't want to come home. He'd go to the bar, have a few, get the senses dulled, and I can come home and live with her. Terrible. But you'd be surprised how many homes that's a reality. How many homes, the first thing you come to do when you come in is you pour that, pour that drink. Dull the senses so I can deal with this. And that's what's happening. They're not living together, tolerating each other. It's cheaper than a divorce. Live together. The husband, let's go back to Genesis. Live together under the Lord. Functioning together. I can remember making a decision about prayer meeting. Make a decision about prayer meeting? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't come to didn't go to prayer meeting. Because to go to prayer meeting, I had to give up my stuff. I had things to do. Lord just said assemble. Looking at prayer, prayer with my brothers and sisters is really intimate important. How do I know what's going on in the mind of my brothers and sisters? What's going on in their life if I don't go to prayer meeting where we ask prayers for these things? And so I had to give up my things and go to prayer meeting. Thank God. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's a highlight of our week to go to prayer meeting. Don't like to miss it. Some days, some nights, Mike, David, get the text. My leg fell off. I can't make it. Live my life. <laughs> you have to laugh at it, folks, or you'll cry. <laughs> Sidebar, my wife and I, we have an absolutely wonderful life in my condition. The Lord has been so good and such a blessing, and I think a lot of it is because we live our life under the Lord, with the Lord, enjoying the Lord. Live together. As someone who is weaker, oh, every wife likes to hear this. Hey, <laughs> you're the weak one. No, no. 
what is her, what do we mean weaker? Well, the word, it is physical. It talks about physical weakness. Also, keep in mind that this is a time that was somewhat agricultural. Woman at the well, what was she doing? She was carrying water pots. Labor was hard for women. She wasn't as physical as a man. And that needed to be recognized in our living together. Give her a break. Give her some rest at the end of the day, especially those who have been corralling children. And try to take care of the household. But I think it goes further. Remember, this knowledge of her goes also to the spiritual. And the one thing we learn from Genesis about the wife after the fall is what? She now wants to dominate her husband and not be the helper. And every woman born, you feel it, bristles at this idea of being under doing what he says? Paul even says that. Not, oh, obey your husband in everything. And the wife smiles and says, you got to be kidding. And the husband and his living with his wife has to recognize this and understand it. Husband, recognize it, live with it and understand it. And wife, also recognize that thing that you feel when you hear those words. It's because of the sinful fall. And by God's grace and mercy, you've been restored and you can overcome that and live harmonious with your husband. Now, husband, it also helps if you take your position and quit pushing your buttons and direct her in the things of the Lord. If you want to sum this up, what these instructions are to, uh, to the husband, it's love. And Paul makes that real clear. Love your wife. Like you love your own flesh, because that's where she came from. She came out of Adam's rib. You are flesh of his flesh, and you're bone of his bone. Great place to be if the wife has a husband that cares for her like this. That will, what are we going to do? We are going to honor her. As I said, maybe made note of it a couple minutes ago. So many of the commentators go to this idea of put her on a pedestal. All right, that can be a physical picture. The word honor is, when you honor something, it has great value. Great value, something of esteemed highly, reverenced, revered. The word also in another tense goes to the blood, the precious blood of Christ that we read about in chapter 1. The, redemptive, the redemption price, the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. This is what honor means, husband toward the wife. You say, yeah, but you don't know my wife. But God says, honor her. One of the major things that pastors deal with is husband-wife conflict. And I would honor her if she would only 
do what I tell her. And I do what he tell, tells me if he'd love me. And I don't think he loves me. And the two aren't going to meet together because the two will not submit, as Peter is talking about, to their position under God. It's that simple. Now, the husband who's disobedient to this, the wife's instruction is just live it out before him. Live your life under the Lord in front of him. Show him constantly how it's supposed to be as a rebuke to his disobedience. Honor her. Value her. She's of great price. That she even said yes to do in the first place is a miracle. And the fact she continues to say yes is even more a miracle because now she knows. <laughs> Under God, appreciate this gift. Look at the foundational, the simple things of life. She's going home with you. Somebody said the, wife, the wife's role is not darning socks and preparing dinner. That's a result. It's not the issue. It's serving God with your husband and helping him to serve God. And when the wife quietly serves the Lord, obeys the Lord, lives before the Lord in front of her disobedient husband, she'll win her husband because those are the instructions of God. She will get her husband back. That wonderful relationship. She's precious, of great value. I, in life, and you do too, know a lot of unbelieving couples. In a particular people that I worked with, his, I found out they were divorcing. Unbelievers had no Christ, God, in their life anywhere. He was absolutely tore apart in the divorce. What am I going to do? I've lost my wife. What am I going to do? No fault, one fault divorce, <laughs> no fault divorce. <laughs> it's miserable. What God has joined together, there is a spiritual connection there, and no matter what you try, how you try to justify it, there is hurt there when it's tore apart. And it's tore apart because people won't put themselves under the rule of God, under the instruction of God, under a loving God who will show them how to do it right. Honor her. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do with my wife. I can't even bend over and pick things up off the floor. <laughs> Honey! <laughs> and she's there. She says she don't know, doesn't know what she'd do without me. I think she's maybe fudging the truth a little bit. Live together. No matter what the circumstances, live together under the Lord. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Treasure her. Husband, treasure her. I don't think too many wives, Christian wives, would have much of a problem 
working under this husband. He's, in a sense, logical. He's reasonable. He's biblically understood. He's patient. He's kind. He values you. He's going to keep you. He's going to maintain you. Some of you heard me mention, I love my tractor. My John Deere riding garden tractor. I love that machine. I don't know what I'd do without it. I take care of it. When I hear a noise, I get off that thing and I bring it in the garage and I start looking because I can't afford to have this thing break down. It's my transportation. It mows my lawn. It hauls my trailers. It moves my boat around. And if I need to get up and back where the hill is, I ride the tractor up there. My wife is far more valuable as a sister in Christ. Far more valuable. And if she starts to squeak, I'm going to pay attention because I can't afford to have her break down. Because I love her, care about her. Not because she helps me. She's my wife. She's a fellow heir with the grace of life. Isn't that a blessing? Husbands, we need to get focused on God. We need to get focused on Christian reality. We need to look at our lives according to the word of God and get out of this world. The world is going to tell you that none of this works. No fun here. Go get your fun someplace else. We also have to remember, as I mentioned with the wife, the culture out there, when they become a believer, aren't mature. They bring the culture into the church. And we, like Paul, to the Gentiles, need to teach them to bring them into this. And they're not going to come easily. They're going to come kicking and screaming. What do you mean? Well, this is what the Bible says. You've got to be kidding. I thought I just believed Jesus. Well, you did. But now as a child of God, there's things to do. We're making disciples. We're teaching them to obey things, everything that Christ taught us. Oh. Oh, all right. I'll get baptized. First step, teach them. The unruly wife. Most of us know. We know of situations where the husband and wife, they just refuse to acknowledge God's word over their life and they live in turmoil, trouble. Doesn't work. And so we as believers, we need to know these things and be able to teach these things. As the husband teaches his wife, we also teach. Remember, Paul said to the Corinthian church, when the time when you folks ought to be teachers, you need to be taught again. You haven't been paying attention. The purpose of the pastor, teacher in the church is to prepare us for the work of ministry. All of us men. And ladies also, to be able to teach your children. And elder ladies, teach the younger ladies these first principles of the marriage relationship. It's important. It's important to the, let's use the word, harmony of the marriage relationship. Why? Because you are 
heirs together of the grace of life. We often, when we hear the word grace, we talk, think of salvation. And that's not always the case. If somebody is gracious to you, they're not saving you. They're being kind to you. And that's the understanding of this use of grace. Grace, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loving, graciousness of speech, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. This is the grace of life that the wife and husband inherit. It's what we're heirs to. Not necessarily then. That's to eternal life. But we're heirs to this grace in this time in our life. If our relationship is right under God, these are the blessings of God upon our relationship. What grace is there in being married? This joy, peace. It's after a hard day's work, do you want to go home and kick your feet up or do you want to go home and be with your wife? Answer that. And get your head on straight. <laughs> get thinking right. Because she's there. She hadn't left. She's waiting for you to come home. And wife, are you waiting for him to come home? Or, oh, he's coming home. <laughs> depending how you act, depending on how you comprehend this, affects the other person. Well, I'm not a husband, so I don't have to listen. Some of you, there are not many single men here. Oh, yeah, you will be. <laughs> You're going to be a husband one day. <laughs> we need to know this. Wives need to know these. Uh, this is basic stuff that Peter is putting these Jewish believers in remembrance of. Pull it together. I know your lives have been torn apart with the change, with the rejection, with the persecution. Forget about that. Get back to the foundational things about what's going on in your home. Turn the radio off. Quit listening to the news. You are not going to hear anything good on the TV or the radio. It isn't out there. It isn't going to happen. You're wasting your time. It's just the way it is, folks. The world is going the way the Bible says it's going to go. And even people sitting in our midst in some point in time are going to depart. It's what the scripture says. So what do I hope in? What, what, what's my foundation? What do I grasp? You grasp your God. You hang on to your wife because she's out in the world and she comes home with all this world junk in her head. Blow it out with the scriptures. Get it out of there. Love her like God says to love her. Oh, look what he's doing. He's doing just what God told him to do. The home, a place of refuge. We love coming to church. Why? Like-minded people, the word of God, prayer, hymn singing. Oh, what a refreshing place this is. Some of you heard me tell about it. 
all the hours spent in the hospital not knowing my future, I used to pray, God, just let me be able to stand in the household of God's people and sing hymns. What are your desires? I was thinking about this. Heirs together of the grace of life. And the psalmist came to mind. If you want to turn there, you can. 23rd Psalm. David said, the Lord's my watcher. The one who takes care of me. He's my shepherd. I'll lack for nothing. I hope you've come to a place in your life and your walk with the Lord that you can say this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He refreshes my soul. When we're in the pleasant places... It's time for praise. It's time for thanksgiving. It's time for glorifying our God. Lifting him up. Telling others about him. Serving. Oh, it's a great place to be in the green pastures. Pleasant places. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. So there's a knowledge of the word of God here. And even though I walk in the darkest valley, I'm not going to fear any evil. Remember, the pleasant pastures were a place of praise, rejoicing, thanksgiving. Pleasant pa- the dark places were a place of faith, trusting, believing in our God, that he cares for us, that he loves us. We rely upon him. I won't fear any evil because he is with me. This is the grace of life. This is what the husband and wife experience as believing Christians. This is what we have with our wives. Together, we have this peace, this calm, this trust in God. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. That's the word of God. Because the husband knows the word of God, he can comfort his wife with the word of God. Honey, what's going to happen? This is what God says. This is what he's going to do. Be patient. Wait on him. But this is awful. Uh huh. It is. Don't kid yourself. These dark places, they are awful. But he's with us. Loves us. Cares for us. And if we follow him, he will bring us through trusting him glorifying him, praising him. I know this sounds weird, but the worst thing that can happen is you don't die. Think about that. I know it's a little weird, but it's reality. Paul says, I'd rather be with him, but it's better for you that I stay here. The believer longs to be completed. Lord, get me up there. But he doesn't get us up there. And so we walk with him. We trust him. We honor him. We serve him. We glorify him and praise him that he brought me through that awful place. His rod and his staff, they come. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overfloweth. 
the blessings of God, his provisions. Provisions, food on the plate or spiritual growth and encouragement? What is it? What's it going to be? What gets you, <laughs> what gets you praising God? No, I know I thank God when the food does come on the table and there hasn't been any. <laughs> oh, but to know my God and to know that he knows me, loves me, cares for me. That is a grace of life. My cup, surely goodness. Do you believe this? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and in the end, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the grace of life. Not the new house. Not he will paint it my color rather than his color. Not the new furniture. This is the grace of life, and I hope you understand it. And I hope it's of great value to you. Peter finishes up with something that's not all that pleasant. It is, but it isn't. The grace of life, so, uh, this is all in verse 7, by the way, three, uh, Peter, First Peter 3, 7. So do this, all these instructions, husband, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Blessings and curses. Do this, you'll be blessed. Don't do this, your prayers will be hindered. Paul ta- uh, Peter will talk later on in the same chapter about God's ear against those who do evil. God's ear is against those who do evil. The husband who does this, his prayers will not be hindered, cut off, hindered. Shut down. This is what God says about the husband's relationship with the wife. There is a blessing in learning to do this. There's also, be aware of the trouble. You want a powerful prayer life? A prayer life that really produces things? This is part of the success of a prayer life. Take care of your wife, husband. Remember back in the very beginning... And wife, if you've got a husband who doesn't obey the word, husband, are we going to be the men who obey the word, follow Peter's teaching? Paul's a lot more specific than what Peter is, but Peter's doing it for very, this is foundational stuff. Reminding these believers, as we've been reminded again, as I've been reminded studying, that this is the first place for us Believing husbands with believing wives. Let's pray. Father, your word does instruct us. Therefore, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the grace to walk forward. As this knowledge says, it's experiential. It's knowledge that produces action. Therefore, let us hold in high esteem your word, for it's the word of our God that we might bless ourselves and bless our wives also. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Lord bless you.